This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu for more information. The U.S. housing market is in shock, consumer confidence is down, and stock markets the world over are tanking, not to mention the fact that delinquencies on auto loans in the U.S. are rising. It's a sure sign that America's auto industry is in trouble. How bad is it, and what should the big three do to try and stem the damage? Meanwhile, the global auto industry has seen some interesting developments, including the introduction of Tata Motors' Nano at $2,500, the world's cheapest car, and also the appearance of five Chinese auto manufacturers at the Detroit Auto Show earlier this month. Will China and India be big players in the global market for cars? How are countries like South Korea and Japan responding? Knowledge at Wharton asked Wharton management professors John Paul McDuffie and Maro Guillen to steer us through the turmoil in the auto industry. John Paul and Maro, thanks for coming. Thank you. Glad to be here. The U.S. auto industry is predicting a weak year. How weak is weak? And does this affect all models from economy cars to luxury cars? Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's really a... A big chunk of bad news for the U.S. industry, which has been trying hard to overcome a lot of its problems. Um, I do think that the bad economy does hit all car sales. Rising fuel prices hit, you know, sales of big cars more. Um, the U.S. companies have been trying to regain market share after years of losses to uh, the Japanese and the Koreans, and this won't help them. Um, so I think it's uh, short term looks looks pretty bad. I think uh, the uh, prospects are obviously not good uh, right now. Um, however, uh, you know, there are some foreign markets that are still growing, and uh, especially in emerging economies, and the U.S. automakers do have a presence there. Uh, so I fully agree with John Paul that the, uh, the short-term um, outlook for the U.S. Uh, looks bleak, especially for certain kinds of uh, models. Um, um, the, uh, the fact that the Fed has lowered interest rates today is going to perhaps help some uh, potential um, consumers um, buy automobiles because the rates will go down on automobile loans, and it will help uh, some of them avert, uh, uh, not bankruptcy, but uh, at least uh, defaulting on their, on their auto loans. Uh, so there's a, I think it's a mixed picture. We need more information, but uh, it doesn't look good. Uh, it certainly looks uh, no better than last year, that's for sure. The car companies are concerned about what some of them call the mass affluent, who typically do well in a strong economy, but now are feeling the pinch of a lower stock market, lower bonuses, and so on. Now, is there possible reluctance to purchase new cars a big part of the gloomy outlook? <laughs> sure. You know, people cut on superfluous expenses, all of these uh, toys that you buy. If uh, the bonus is not coming in, then you need to, uh, you know, maybe postpone buying those uh, toys, uh, those uh, things that uh, you really don't need. Uh, you have to pay for your kid's education, I guess, and you have to pay for the family trip rather than for the uh, third convertible uh, in your driveway. Uh, but um, I think the, uh, the future of the uh, U.S. automakers would not depend so much on that, uh, you know, very, very tiny segment at the very top. Uh, I guess, I'm sure John Paul would agree with me that it's going to be uh, much more important for them to watch what's going to happen with the uh, middle of the market, right? Uh, see how consumers there maybe are thinking now, rethinking their uh, purchases of durable goods. 
and uh, you know, looking ahead for the next uh, six months or so, it's going to be interesting, I guess, as the uh, as the models, uh, as the new uh, models come in, whether people will feel, you know, uh, wow, I, I cannot postpone buying this, uh, you know, really nice car, or whether they will hold on to their wallets, and then you know that's going to have a devastating effect because, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, isn't it the case that the U.S. automakers have spent a lot of time developing new models this year, right? Yeah, absolutely, and they're they're trying hard to regain ground in the in the passenger car segment, getting away from so much reliance on on trucks and SUVs. So uh, they really were counting on winning people back. Um, you know, in, in any uh, economic pinch, uh, people are going to be tempted not to replace or to purchase used cars. And there's a very healthy, huge used car market in the U.S., better information than ever. People do national searches for used cars, uh, unlike in the past. And so, um, you know, why not switch to the two- or three-year-old, more fuel-efficient used car instead of the new car sale? That's part of what will hurt in the short term. What are the big three doing besides cutting costs? Are they considering increasing incentives to attract more buyers, even though that caused a lot of problems last time they did that because consumers got so addicted to them? Well, they would like to break this kind of addiction to really big uh, discounts um, because it has hurt them in lots of ways. They've kind of trained customers to wait for big discounts. They've driven down the residual values of leased vehicles, the hurt used car prices, etc., that along with trying to stop the habit of uh, boosting their sales numbers by pushing vehicles out to rental car companies and the like, you know, which again is are not sort of really a true test of, of what consumers are looking for. But it's always tough when you have a certain amount of factory capacity that's, that, that you need to keep occupied. Uh, you know, you don't want that use those finished goods uh, sitting around. So I suspect we won't see discounting at a level uh, that we became familiar with it, but there'll be isolated examples. Are you expecting any any shakeups at the big three? Also, how would you rate Robert Nardelli's performance at Chrysler so far? Hmm. Well, uh, shakeup, I don't know if by that you mean management shakeups. Of course, the the last couple of years have seen a new CEO at Ford and the sale of Chrysler to Cerberus and and Nardelli coming in. and then these uh, historic new labor agreements this year. I mean, there's there's been a lot of kind of turbulent activities in, in the last year. Uh, it's a little bit hard to read the Chrysler situation. Um, now that they're privately owned, they don't have to uh, provide as much information and certainly have been a lot of management shuffles within the, the ranks. Um, of course, they recruited a couple of people from, uh, from Toyota, quite uh, a lot of publicity around that. Um, I think it's a little early to tell, but certainly it has to be um, bad news for the new owners that they hit this economic slowdown right when they took over. And uh, you hear already noises of having to make bigger cutbacks than they said needed to be made at the time of assuming ownership, and that has to be having a chilling effect on morale of employees and, and the like. So and Ford is probably still in financially the weakest shape of the three. So GM seems to be rebuilding. Chrysler's trying to adjust to this new change in ownership structure, and Ford is still uh, really very much on, on the brink of real financial crisis. Yeah, a lot of changes. And uh, if I may add uh, a couple of other things that are obviously going on. One is, um, you know, as uh, John Paul mentioned, Ford is trying to um, make up for its uh, weaknesses by selling uh, some divisions, especially the uh, 
uh, Rover and, uh, and Jaguar, right? I mean, maybe others are uh, are also uh, uh, planned to be sold uh, to others. Uh, intriguingly, so uh, Tata has emerged as the uh, as a major uh, beneficiary of uh, of these uh, actions. Uh, the other thing to take into account is that uh, not even very well established players like Toyota, which has been mentioned several times, and of course it's always looming large in the background, has been uh, free from trouble recently, right? I mean, they've. Uh, bumped into some serious uh, quality issues. And uh, I don't know to what extent this will tarnish their reputation because, of course, uh, uh, it is a uh, brand that is uh, widely recognized as producing cars of the uh, of the highest quality. But uh, I guess that uh, all of the established automakers will need to uh, take this opportunity, the, uh, the downturn now, to rethink their strategies and, and, uh, and to uh, ponder what they should be doing over the next uh, 15 or 20 years. Uh, we have the Chinese automakers getting in. This is going to affect some automakers more than others. We haven't even talked about the Europeans, which have a uh, quite a few problems as well. Um, so I guess there's a lot of things that are, are up for grabs, not not in the following year, but let's say if you look farther down the road over the next 10 to 15 years, there's a lot of potential changes that could be taking place in the industry. It's going to be exciting, right, so to speak, to follow uh, all of the uh, all of the uh, developments. Speaking of the Chinese automakers, uh, do you think that they will be able to make a dent, no pun intended, in the U.S. market? Five of them uh, were at the at the U.S. auto show recently. Yeah. Give them give them a few years. Um, if if uh, if experience, uh, if history uh, can teach us anything, uh, what we know is that it takes uh, yeah maybe ten years, fifteen years, for a foreign automaker from a developing country or an emerging economy to, to be a serious contender in a developed market. I mean, it took, I think, that long, Hyundai, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they stumbled the first couple of times, right, uh, with the pony. I mean, you remember all of those stories, right? Yes. Uh, but then eventually they got it right. And, uh, I mean, they're building up their presence. It's tough, right, because the, uh, neither the Americans nor the Europeans and, of course, the Japanese want to give up market share in a market that potentially is as profitable as the U.S. market. Uh, But they have agreements, they're learning uh, how to manufacture, they're buying the technology, maybe they'll start developing some of their own technology. I would give them five to ten years, and I think they might become a, uh, you know, a serious force to uh, acknowledge. And of course, you know, presumably this is going to be to the benefit of consumers, right? Presumably. We shall see what happens. I mean, the growth happening in China and in other markets close to them is so huge that uh, any of these Chinese companies will be more than busy just keeping up with that growth. But to sell into the U.S. market is a big achievement. It's a source of pride. It's a major goal. And uh, so far, I don't see any reason to expect the Chinese to follow any different path than the Japanese and the Koreans before them of uh, wanting to export successfully to the developed countries, understanding that they need a lot more technological uh, expertise. Uh, they won't want to just be licensing that or getting that from joint venture partners. They will eventually want to be uh, in control of that themselves. Um, and it will take them a while to meet the U.S. regulations, but also the very now demanding expectations of U.S. consumers in terms of quality and ride and comfort, etc. So they'll work hard for that. I'm sure they'll get there. Will they get there faster than the Japanese or Koreans? Possibly. Um, There may be some features that have speeded the amount of technology transfer coming into those companies um, now. But it's not going to happen in the next couple of years. It's definitely uh, further down the road. And the the fact that they come to our auto shows doesn't really mean that they're necessarily – 
any readier to really meet that test just yet. Let's talk about the Nano for a little bit. It's the world's cheapest car at 2500 It's a five-door hatchback powered by two cylinders, capable of going 75 miles an hour and getting 54 miles to the gallon. Tata hopes to sell a million cars a year and expand to other countries. Can they do that? And also, does that increase the pressure on U.S. manufacturers to come up with really cheap cars? People have been watching the the Tata, you know, $2,000 car, $2,500 car with interest for a long time. I think Tata has done a great job of building up a, a lot of uh, uh, very high expectations. It's not a, a, a new quest to uh, build products at the low-cost end of the market and sell into these rapidly growing developing markets. This just seems bolder in its uh, ambition uh, cheaper and uh, fresh, you know, clean sheet of paper and 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 the like with the with the design. Um, you know, we've only just started to see it. Uh, I think there's a lot of clever uh, things about the design. There there are some major questions about how well the product holds up over time. So even if it now meets Indian emission and safety standards, uh, will that continue to be true after two or three years of hard use? on rough Indian roads. Um, certainly, uh, these products will, will not be coming to the U.S. or other developed markets because they're a very long distance from meeting our safety and emissions requirements, not to mention acceleration and, and other kinds of things. So as for immediate pressure on, on uh, U.S. companies to, to serve that low-cost end of the market, um, you know, we won't immediately be seeing those products here competing. But uh, many, many auto companies are trying to create products at that end of the market. And uh, I might just say a word or two about the, the experience of Renault with the, uh, the Logan. That's a product that they designed from scratch to build and sell in Eastern Europe. Uh, it's been very successful. And part of the surprise with the Logan is that it's also selling very well in Western Europe to people who want uh, uh, inexpensive second second cars. It doesn't sell in its cheapest uh, version. It sells with a lot more comfort features, which helps Renault because they're actually making some profit margin on those models. So um, that's maybe more of the example that has relevance for the U.S. car companies. Ratan Tata, the, the chairman of the Tata Group of Companies, has said that he's actually quite happy that other car companies are planning to enter the low-cost market. Uh, for example, you mentioned Renault, and uh, as we all know, Renault and Nissan have partnered with Bajaj Auto to produce their own version of the $2,500 car. And Toyota, Honda, Ford, and Fiat are also working on their own models. Now, how will the Nano retain its competitive advantage if the market gets so competitive? Well, uh, it's a very competitive industry, and um, I don't think they have any guaranteed edge. There's nothing I've seen that suggests that what's helped them reach that price point is can't be imitated by others. Um, you know, they will have some advantages, I think, in selling to the Indian consumer. They're a, a, a well-known brand name. People are excited about this new product, uh, they'll, they'll want to buy from an Indian company that's doing innovative things. Um, that, that will certainly help them. The, uh, another wild card is what happens uh, at the Indian government level in terms of regulations. If emissions and safety standards are toughened up, which a lot of people think they will be, 
the Nano would have to meet those requirements, which will instantly raise its price a lot and put it into competition with a lot of other products, um, not just these new ones, but some of the existing products from Maruti and the like. So I, I see a, a very uh, toughly competitive uh, road ahead for Tata, but kind of brilliant to um, to make such a splash with this and have a bit of a time to catch on with Indian consumers before some of these new developments uh, tighten things up. There is a symbolic aspect of all of this. I mean, Tata has certainly scored a big, you know, uh, win, I mean, with this, uh, you know, announcement and has attracted a lot of attention. Uh, but uh, even in the Indian market, they're going to be challenged, right? And uh, let alone in, in other markets, either neighboring or, you know, around the world, uh, especially the developed markets where Tata doesn't even have a distribution network. Uh, so um, it's going to be really hard for them. Um, now, exactly what I find fascinating about this is that exactly 100 years ago, the first Model T Ford actually rolled off the assembly line in 1908, right? So it's, uh, it's exactly 100 years ago. And another, find, uh, another thing that uh, <clears throat> I find fascinating is that uh, Henry Ford Price, the uh, Model T Ford, had exactly uh, one-third the uh, U.S. per capita income at the time. Uh, and that's more or less the uh, per capita income in India. It's also about uh, nearly three times what the, uh, the nano would cost. Uh, and I haven't uh, been able to check the numbers for the Volkswagen when it uh, um, came into the market. That was the uh, <coughs> the people's car that was also intended to, uh, you know, give rise to, um, <coughs> you know, um, mobility on a grand scale in, in Germany. Italy also had its uh, people's car. I think it was the uh, Quattrocento or the Quinquecento, one of those, right? Mm-hmm. Same Spain, uh, you know, in all, pretty much in all markets around the world, there's always been one car that has been priced right there. So that uh, increasing numbers of people could, um, you know, essentially enter the automobile age. Uh, so Tata, I think, can be one of the players that uh, may play that role in, in India. It's, I don't think it's going to be the only one. And uh, I wholly agree that, wholly agree that, entirely agree that I don't think it's, 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 this is going to be the car that is going to make Tata's reputation in the global auto industry. Because the, the, there's going to be so much competition for that segment with that kind of product. And it's not clear to me what advantage they have that some other company doesn't possess, right? Because technology cannot be it, right? Unless uh, they were able to find a, uh, you know, some new revolutionary engine or, you know, what have you. So technology cannot be it. Branding, I don't think, uh, can be it. And uh, low cost, well, India may have low cost, but uh, so do many other locations in the world. Uh, so I don't see how, uh, you know, whatever initial advantage Tata obtains from this very bold announcement and so on and so forth, how on earth they're going to uh, sustain it over time. I just don't see it. Uh, very clever, right? I agree. But uh, uh, very difficult to uh, to keep uh, this kind of thing just to themselves and uh, and to exploit all of the... Uh, all of the profits. You said earlier that European uh, car companies are having their own sets of problems. Oh, sure. What, what, well, continuing, right? Can you, ex- right? Can you expand problems. both of you a little bit on that? Sure. Well, I mean, some of them have been moribund for, for quite a while, like Fiat of Italy. I mean, they're, they're uh, muddling through, trying to, uh, you know, hold on to their, their past glory. Uh, Renault actually surprisingly has been very innovative for the last 10 years with new models and especially for European markets, right? And then they've uh, expanded globally in the form of uh, alliances and, uh, well, taking stakes in, in companies, especially in, in Asia. Uh, the Germans are, I guess, uh, doing reasonably okay. BMW has put behind a lot of the problems that they bumped into when they acquired, uh, uh, made acquisitions in Britain, and they, they essentially transferred those problems to, to American firms, right? 
And, uh, and then uh, who else is left? Uh, the British are all gone. Uh, the Eastern Europeans have essentially been acquired by, by the Germans, right, for the most part, or have uh, disappeared altogether. Um, so we have a number of, uh, you know, companies there. PSA, uh, Citroën, Peugeot is, is another one which is struggling much more than Renault, at least in my, in my mind. And then interesting thing is we'll, we'll see what happens with Volvo, the car unit. Right? whether it reverts back to uh, Swedish hands or not. Um, so the Europeans, what they have is, of course, is a uh, distinctive uh, technology, right? And a very, uh, very uh, um, valuable brand image. I mean, some of these brands command premium prices around the world, right? Even in this industry, which has become, like John Paul was saying, uh, very commodified. That is to say that competition is just uh, really, really intense. So it's very difficult to uh, charge premium prices because there's always somebody else who can offer, you know, a, a, a good product, right, in, in the same price range with very good technology. If it's not the Europeans, it's the Japanese. If it's, so there's always alternatives for buyers, even for very sophisticated buyers. Um, so my sense is that Europeans are just, uh, you know, struggling again with the same thing. And then on top of that, so far they've been lucky because European markets, which is where they are very strong, have been expanding. European economies are growing. Uh, but there are already signs uh, of uh, trouble lying ahead. Let's see how, uh, you know, to what extent the, uh, the American downturn actually affects uh, the growth in uh, European economies. Uh, sales, auto sales are already down, right, from uh, record levels. So uh, I think they're also going to be confronting, uh, you know, some, some serious problems. Some of the common themes are slow growth uh, markets. So the European markets are not the places where these companies can find a lot of growth. Uh, the tougher emission standards advancing much more quickly in Europe than in the U.S., and so all the companies are working hard to figure out how they'll meet them. These companies are obviously used to dealing with much higher fuel prices um, than, than we are, but of course they're affected by that, that trend uh, as well. For different companies, there's a different story with respect to globalization. Uh, the, the most successful globalizing companies have been somewhat shielded from the uh, the ups and downs of any particular local market, including their home market. Um, back to what Morrow said at the beginning, you know, GM is very much helped right now by the fact that their international sales are doing great, and uh, and their international sales are now a much bigger percentage of their total of their total business. So. Um, you know, again, uh, the companies that were earlier into that process and have figured out how to manage that effectively are are doing better. Um, but you know, the the, the there's probably a, a, a smaller number of examples of successful global alliances than of the ones that have have failed or or come unstuck. Yeah. One thing I would uh, like to add about the European uh, companies and the market over there, and by the way, that also includes not just uh, the European automobile companies or European-owned, but also the Americans uh, operating there, Ford and General Motors, is uh, in this new era of uh, very, very high gas prices. I wonder when the diesel engine for passenger cars is going to uh, be accepted in the U.S. market, finally, uh, or beyond. In Europe, uh, I don't remember now the exact percentage, it's something in the neighborhood of 70% of all new cars are equipped with a diesel engine. Now, 15 years ago, diesel engines were noisy, they were very big, uh, they didn't give you the performance, the acceleration, all of that. But uh, Europeans, that includes also, uh, you know, German, uh, I'm sorry, GM's uh, Opel uh, division and uh, Ford of Europe have innovated in terms of diesel technology. 
so much that now you can barely notice a difference in terms of performance, right? I mean, if you are a, uh, you know, if you're driving a Porsche, of course, you would notice a difference, right? But uh, for the average uh, um, auto driver, um, you know, a diesel um, engine in a passenger car uh, is actually, um, you know, no less appealing today in Europe than, than a conventional gasoline engine. Uh, and it is much cheaper to, uh, to operate. Um, so I wonder whether, um, you know, uh, there will be a, uh, some uh, major movement in terms of exporting this European technology, which is owned also by American firms over there, okay, uh, onto other parts of the world. That, I think, is, a, is a, uh, an interesting future development which may occur. And I'm actually interested in knowing what John Paul thinks about that, because this is one of the most conspicuous differences between the U.S. and European automobile markets these days. Do you think uh, the American auto uh, driver, uh, you know, consumer may be uh, persuaded with good marketing maybe to, uh, to adopt the uh, diesel engine? Well, I mean, the Europeans are clearly uh, hoping against hope that this will happen and, uh, and really betting on that as, uh, I mean, if we think of this as a time when there'll be some transitional technologies between the traditional internal combustion engine and maybe some future uh, advanced technology, whether it's fuel cells or something else or, or, or fully electric cars. Um, clean diesel is going to be that transitional technology in Europe. Um, in the U.S., hybrid um, you know, gas electric uh, designs have a big head start and have won a, a big public following. And, but it's only um, 5% of the market or less. Well, that's versus true. Versus seventy-five percent in Europe, right? For diesel, that's true. But I, I still think there's a lot of uh, negatives that diesel has to overcome in the U.S. If, if, if diesel can come in, clean diesel at a big price advantage over the hybrid, um, maybe. But the hybrid costs premium will go will go down as the volumes increase. Um, Toyota is already working on on hybrid diesel, so uh, you know diesel electric combinations, which they'll push in in Europe. Um, but I think they'll they'll continue pushing the performance envelope in the U.S. with gas electric. So um, I, I still think the diesel has a long, long way to go. It, it won't be easy for the Europeans. Great. Thank you both for coming. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Mm-hmm.